You're listening to the Melrose Place podcast, where we rewatch, recap, and analyze every episode of the hit 90s TV series, Melrose Place. I'm Dan Hill. And I'm Jenny Hill. Let's begin. Three, episode 20, St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Air date, February 13th, 1995. Happy Valentine's Day, Jenny. Oh, happy Valentine's Day to you, Dan. What's your, what's your favorite type of mu- Valentine's Day? Oh, chocolate, chocolate, and more chocolate. Not, no one got chocolate in this episode. Nobody got chocolate. One gift. Nobody Two went gifts. on dates. And there was not a massacre. Nobody died either. This was false advertising. <laughs> I expected blood. I expected the Game of Thrones red wedding. <laughs> well, just we murder. Can't always get what we want, but what we can get is a great shot of a tarantula walking over the box that Sydney's been locked in. Have you ever been in like? The desert and seen like that big of like that's a museum tarantula. Okay, I don't, I've never actually been in like the desert, quote unquote. I mean, I know that we technically live in a desert, but a place as desolate as that, yeah, I don't think I have. Like, and if I saw a spider that big, I would never return to that place. That was a straight up tarantula, no? Uh, I think yes. it was. <laughs> So we open up this episode. Yeah, that's a tarantula. Yeah, I know. Tarantulas are found in the rainforest and jungles of South and Central America, not Santa Clarita. Dan, number one, <laughs> or Arizona, Tucson. Tucson. Number two, you remember in Home Alone, what one of the buzzes? Buzz's, Buzz's tarantula, tarantula got let out. That was a gift. That was like his pet. That's what I mean. It could have it could have been a pet that got out and now lives in the desert. You think Martin's like a missing buddy, my tarantula? It could be. He seems like the type of person that would keep a tarantula as a pet. My tarantula isn't responsible for his own actions. <laughs> you need to take responsibility, tarantula. So yeah, like Jenny said, this tarantula just creeps over the the box that Sydney has been left in overnight. And then we see a shot of a pair of boots and the camera pans up and it's Martin. And he's going to let Sydney out of the box where she's spent the entire night in. And he's not even mad. He's not even pissed at her. Like do you remember the struggle that went down with like it was like a witching hunt? Where yeah. she was like tied up and they threw her down there. And the thing that really bothered me about this scene is Sydney's lack of anger. Yeah. She, they, he opens this was the not box. a timeout. It's very weird. He, so yeah. we can presume she's been in that box for 8 to 12 hours. And he pulls up and he literally says, Morning, Sydney. I trust you had a peaceful night. 
Yeah. What? So she's just laying there, kind of giving him like, like the the eyes. Like I hate you. Yeah, I'd be like Martin. I hate you. He, like we are enemies now. <laughs> he helps her out, and then he was like, "Look, you've made the decision not to write the letter, so your actions resulted in this. This was all you're doing." And your actions have consequences, so you need to take responsibility for them. What I don't get... All right, so Martin is saying that to her, right? Yeah. So it's her actions that led to this, right? That's what he said. So in some point in Martin's little, like, religion, when is it his actions that do things? It's always someone else's that lead them to something. You know? Yeah. So what in what about well, that's Martin's a classic life? cult leader? You want to try to break everybody down and make them feel worthless and then any kind of stupid rules or like arbitrary things that they impose that they they say that they have to like follow. Right. And writing the letter to the family I think was where he had to draw the line. So he says you're free to go but I'm not going to help you get home. I've helped you enough. And and he tries to rope her in and, and like Sydney like second guesses him and was like, I guess you think I'm just super like terrible now. And he's like, no, you're, you haven't, you're the reason you're here is because you have incredible inner strength. Yeah. Because she says, maybe I'm not strong enough for your program. And then he's like, no, what, Program. All I've seen Sydney do is serve food. <laughs> She's already a server. She she already She's brought wor- tea and lunches. <laughs> That's literally it. And she's and she didn't write the letter. She's had three responsibilities. She's done two well, out of three. She didn't have sex with Martin. Oh yeah, Martin. she didn't do them. <laughs> like so. Four before two out of four. That's got to be a pretty big hit to his ego. So he says that you know life in LA is so dreadful, but it's familiar to you, and it takes very strong inner strength to want to leave something that's comfortable and seek out a better life. That shows that you are the right kind of person to pursue Martinism. And he tells her, you can either have a long walk into the desolate unknown or breakfast. Which would you prefer? And she's like, mm, breakfast. And by the end of this, she's like, mm, okay. <laughs> and they walk away back to their little like trailer camp, arm in arm. And then Sydney actually places her hand on his butt. Yeah, this is not right. It was weird. This and the camera the pans away. It's like, what? And yeah, they sh- and they should have played like some kind of rinky dink music like bring and like as they like go back to the camp. It's like, what? Well, that's our cold open. We then get the opening credits, after which we do have like a rip off of a Blink 182 song. Yeah, at first I thought it was like a REM tone, but then it was very Blink. So Blink-182. I feel like they've used that like style of music. If it's not Blink-182, it's like their sound double. It's crazy. I'm done with writing the, the lyrics. 
I'm done. It's just too tiresome. It's just too much. <laughs> so Amanda's at the hospital. She's in her hospital bed in her gown. She's hooked up to her IV, but all the while she's still working. So she's on her phone, Tirelessly. scheduling meetings. And Michael comes in and he lets her know that, hey, she's going to have to get her chemotherapy treatment. I, yeah, I thought she was already getting it. Like she's already just still getting the treatment. Oh, maybe that's what. And she's he's doing. like, he's, and then he's like, you better like chill out because there's gonna be like way more of this. And he says, you know, this is a very intense procedure. Your body does need time to recuperate. But she's not hearing it. She's like, look, I have a company to run. I've got to maintain this, and no one can know that anything is amiss. I'm so gonna- this all has to be early in the morning, and I cannot miss work. Okay. All right, sweetheart. We'll see how this goes. Now, Jane goes over to Jake and talks to him about um, not seeing Sydney lately. And, I mean, she's the last person to see Sydney. Mm-hmm. And, and she, she, she's talking to him about Ricky. She thinks Ricky got her hooked into the cult. And she's like, has, has, J- has Sydney ever talked to you about Martin? And Martin then, Abbott, yeah, like 60 times. 60 times. And then Jane informs Jake that the cult information hotline listed him as extremely destructive. What do you think that number is? I don't know, but I need to, I want to call it. That seems like a hotline that would be very abused. 1-800-HELP-CULT. <laughs> 1-800-CULT-INFO. 1-800-CULT-OUT. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but it's like ha- back in those days, I know there were a lot of cults that were kind of, I guess, like fizzling out from the 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. And there are, were all, there were still a lot of other cults. I mean, Heaven's Gate was, I mean, a few years before this. Yeah. I mean, we talked about cults on, on my other podcast, the, the Dan and Cody podcast. If you all are interested. But, um, I mean, really, a cult is just a, a religion in its inception that people are, like, shy away, shy away from because it's new and weird. That's how I feel about them. No, I think there's more to, to it than just, like, a religion. But if it gets popular, then it sort of breaks the... The stigma of cult and becomes accepted as. Such. I think when it becomes so pervasive that it's taking over your life and they are making you excommunicate yourself from your friends and family members, mm-hmm. and then there's ideology associated with worshiping a person, there like a like a, a specific like person and putting them up on a pedestal, and then you get into like how a lot of these cult leaders expect their members to just like have sex with them. Yeah. I think that's kind of when you cross the line. And Jake even said she talks about him like he's a god. Yeah, so that's a sign. And she really didn't in the time that she was talking to Jake about it. Well, we don't know what conversations they had off camera. Yeah, true. So, yeah, cold information hotline is like, Red flags on Martin Abbott. Stay away from him. Yeah, and, he's listed as extremely destructive. And we leave this scene where, so Jane is going to dig up some more info. I don't know what more info she would need to to take action, though. Well, to find out where, where Sydney went. 
Right. Yeah, I guess you're right. Now, Matt is at the hospital, and he's he, he goes up to this front desk, and he's like, do I have any messages? I'm like, is Matt the type of employee to be like, Requesting his messages? <laughs> Did he get another promotion or something? Like, you know, I think we're going to learn throughout this episode that Matt has even more hospital responsibilities than we even knew before. Oh, Matt Fielding, Jenny, is crucial to every aspect <laughs> of Wilshire Memorial. Of, of running this hospital. I don't know what they would do without Matt. Matt's involved in literally everything. But Creepy John rolls up. Yeah. Oh, funny enough. He just struck in. He had in. a stats. One of his, the people that he brought in was a stabbing victim, and he's waiting to go into surgery. So he just figured he'd just kind of wander around the halls. And that's, and he just r- brushes that off the shoulder. What? Stab victim surgery. Yeah, yeah. Like, whatever. And Matt's like wandering around in search of what? Dinner partner. There's yeah. a great new restaurant. On a La Cienega, why don't you come? And then Matt says, oh, I feel as though I'm going to have to eat dinner at my desk. There's a new computer program that's been rolled out. I'm going to have to do damage control on it all night. All night. So Matt is now head of IT at Wilshire Memorial. Yeah. Why is he having to work out (laughs) the kinks in the new program? I don't know. Sounds weird. I don't know. They need Katya back. I don't know. I don't know. So Matt is needed all night. Wilshire Memorial. Head over to D&D. And flowers are just flying in. And Allison is uber jealous. Yeah. So she's like, oh, God. Her and Billy are sitting in their cubicles together. And she laments to Billy, oh, Valentine's Day is two days away. And already flowers are beginning to be delivered. This is great. I get to wallow in my own self-pity. And she, and like Billy's kind of like, well, did, did you miss it at all? And she was like, I guess it was nice to feel special for a day. Now, this is when the conversation shifts over to Amanda. They're thinking that it could be nice if maybe they took it upon themselves to do something nice for Amanda on Valentine's Day. And uh, Allison says, well, one of my friends does own a flower shop. Maybe we can go there tomorrow and pick something out for her. Mm -hmm. Now, right on cue, Amanda walks up to their cubicle and begins just laying into Allison. If I was Allison, I would just not even hear her yelling anymore. I would be so tuned out. That's the like, only way that Amanda communicates with her. It's like, what is what is she going to scream at me That's about That's it. I don't know how you can work in that environment. Hell no. So Amanda comes up, Bob McGovern said that, that you sent these proofs to him without my approval. Everything needs to go through me, Allison. And Allison says, well, you know, I did put them on your desk, but you were away and I had to get them over to the client. And of course, Amanda just keeps laying into her. But then Allison checks herself and says, you know what, Amanda, you're right. Everything must go through you. And next time I promise, I'll make sure that you see the proofs before I send them to the client. And actually, I was thinking about going to get myself some coffee. Tea. Why don't I grab you a cup of tea? No sugar, right? Yeah. And then... Amanda looks at Allison, then looks at Billy, and then two and a half seconds go by, and she's like, okay, I get it. 
And she's like, you two, my office, both of you. Now. So they follow her into the office, and she continues her tirade and says, oh, Billy, I just can't believe it. You told her, didn't you? And then Allison, Allison like, told me what? What are you talking about? Oh, Allison, quit it with the dog and pony show, okay? It's not very cute, and it's I'm not pa- buying it. It's pathetic. It's a pathetic act. And you know what? It is very... It's so sad that Amanda knows that any sort of uh, thoughtfulness or kind act towards her is fake. Is out of some sort of pity. No one's doing it for the kindness of their own heart. She's like, there is absolutely no chance that these people and Allison would like me. So... Clearly something's up. <laughs> well, she then goes it's to sad. Billy, and I agree, it is very sad, but she's decided that's how she's going to run her life. And Billy sort of backs up Allison here. He's like, look, we're behind, man. Every, t- every time you go to the doctor, it takes three hours. And we're, we're backed up, so we had to keep moving. We're, we're a team. I want to work as a team and help each other out. And Amanda just shoves it right back down his throat. She's like, no. She literally tells them that no one is allowed to make a decision without her. And she... (laughs) What kind of work is that? Well, I think, too, she kind of reveals that, like, you are not going to get my job. Like, she's very... She's threatened by Allison. She knows that Allison could do her job. And she doesn't want Allison to have to step up and do it. So it's just this fear of being knocked out of her position. It's not, it's unwarranted. And it it is crazy. It's like if you are running a business and you are that far behind and you do have a willing and able and capable team, why not use that resource? Why? But her pride gets in the way. Maybe she's still hanging on to that one time where Allison was like, I'm going to take her job. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah. And, and she went to, with, uh, to Hawaii with To Jake. Hawaii, and she turned around. Vacation's over. <laughs> so we head on over to Camp Colt, and Martin is, they've got a, the angle is Martin pointing a gun at us, the audience. <laughs> and we find that he is doing target practice and Ricky is watching him adoringly while Sydney Sydney rolls up with food. She serves them food. Yeah, comes up with the tray, giving them lunch. And Martin suggests that Sydney maybe try shooting. But before Ricky talks to Sydney and is like, watch Martin. He's so focused. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and so Martin's like, Sydney, you want to try? Oh, no, that's okay. <laughs> you know, I, I'm not really good with, like, target and shooting. <laughs> that's not for me. Why don't you go in the shack and pick out a gun you like? One that feels comfortable in your hand. And she goes to the shack, and there's, like, a full arsenal. Yeah, it's like stocked. Of military-grade weapons. And she doesn't know... What the fuck she's looking at? She goes in there. She picks up a gun and holds it like a like a piece of pizza. <laughs> and she just like walks out. 
and then she hands it to Martin, and then Martin just fucking cocks it back like it's full. It's a fully loaded weapon. Yeah, like, and this he's is like, not safe. Well, guns aren't any use if they're not loaded with ammunition. Yeah, those are a lot of weapons that our members turned in. Really? Are your members seriously part like Navy SEALs? Yeah, there was some serious weaponry in there. So Martin is now just teaching Sydney how to fire a weapon for the first time, and he's like. Just look down the barrel and pull that trigger and and embrace for the for the kickback. Just send the bullet to your target. <laughs> so of course, under Martin's guidance, Sydney is able to shoot the first bottle, first try. It just explodes. And then Ricky has a really great reaction to oh, this. Oh, she goes insanely overboard about it. She's like, yeah! Way to go, Sid! Blew it to smithereens! She is, like, super stoked on, on Sydney's ability to shoot a weapon. And, and Martin's like, that's because you never thought of missing, Sydney. Great job. Here, keep shooting. And then, so we just leave this scene with Sydney just... Going to town, firing away, and hitting every bottle that she shoots. She's a marksman, guys. Yeah. She's a crazy marksman now. Now we head over to Shooters where Jane is with Jake and they're talking about this compound that they found out where Sydney and the whole Martinism crew went to their quote-unquote resort. And then a side convo is going on with Matt and Joe. They're having an, an, a weird meal together. Has this ever happened? This is one of, I think, the first times that we see Matt and Joe interacting as friends. It's two crisscrosses because Jake and Jane are now... Ah, unlikely partners. Yeah. So Joe is explaining to Matt about this new job opportunity that, he, that she has. And while they're talking... LA Monthly. While they're talking, John comes into Shooters and goes straight up to the bar and asks for Matt Fielding. Well, he turns around, sees Matt sitting with Joe, walks right over to Matt and says, oh, I guess you got done work early, huh? Yeah, fucking stalker. And I don't, like, is it the bar tender's responsibility to know everyone who's there? Like, if you walked into a random bar, you can't just walk in and ask the bartender, like, and hey, is Dan here? Honestly, Shooters is not that big where you couldn't just, like, look and see who is there. Yeah. And then Matt's like, how did you find me? And John says, oh, well, you've talked about this place before, so I decided to come check it out while you were at work. Um, no, you didn't, you liar. You just walked in and asked for Matt Fielding. Yeah. If you genuinely thought he was at work and just wanted to come in and check it out, wouldn't you just come in and sit at the bar? Yeah, Matt needs to to nip this in the bud. He is a psycho stalker. He's told him off before. He's like, I'm not looking for a relationship. No lunch. No dinner. So... But, of course, John weasels his way into this. He pulls up a chair. They start talking. And then they loop him on the conver- in on the conversation. So with Joe's new job position, she's going to be taking, like, underground photos of shit you can't really see uh, during the average night in Los Angeles. And there's going to be some, some pretty, like, uh, 
tough areas to get to. And John, the cop, he's hearing this, and he, I guess, is trying to get in on on Matt's good side and be nice to her friends, sort of like Paul or like Keith or any of the other creepy boyfriends who try to do nice things around people. So John tells Joe, well, you can't get the pictures you want. I mean, you're white, female, no tattoos or gang symbols. But me, I'm a cop there. That's my patrol. I go around Hollywood. I can get you into places that you could never get in yourself. Why don't you do a ride-along with me tomorrow night? And Joe's like, all right. Now, Matt, of course, hears this and says, whoa, that sounds pretty dangerous, guys. Mm-hmm. And they think it sounds like a great idea. So they make a plan. Tomorrow night, they're going on a ride along. They're doing it. Now, Michael and Kimberly are in bed celebrating the day before Valentine's Day with a little sexy time. And um, they're upset. Well, Kimberly's upset that they're not going to be able to celebrate Valentine's Day. But um, on the actual holiday, on, yeah, on the actual holiday. But she is going to be on rounds with Michael, but she's going to bring this sexy red lingerie and wear it under her green scrubs. Right. Ooh. And then they get a phone call while they're in bed. Kimberly picks it up and she's like, who could this be? And uh, well, she's waiting for lab results to come back. That's why she has to answer it. But it's Amanda who is like cuddled up in her bed, like sick as a dog. And Kimberly tells Amanda immediately, like, uh, Michael's off duty. We're like doing it right and now. And Michael hears this, grabs the phone away from Kimberly. And that's when Amanda says, Michael, I'm sick as a dog and I'm really scared. I've been feeling this way for hours. Please help. Immediately, Michael's like, I'll be there in 20 minutes. Um, and I'm like, how in the world is that humanly possible? Light rail. You live in Malibu? He's going light rail. She is off of Melrose Place. Yeah. No chance in hell. 20 minutes. Yeah. So we know that somehow, someway, Michael's Beach House is 20 minutes from Amanda. Okay. In what (laughs) world? I have no idea. So, of course, Kimberly is really upset about this. Michael jumps out of bed, starts getting ready to go see Amanda. And Kimberly is like, since when did you start making house calls? Since I have friends who are sick. And then Kimberly says, you don't have any friends. (laughs) And this just fuels Michael more. So he's out of there. And of course, um, we are left with Kimberly, who is uh, really not happy. Now, Michael, we're with Michael and Amanda now at Amanda's place. And Michael brings like the least doctory shit over to Amanda for remedies. And Saltines, some soda, ginger ale, and uh, and 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 then just like nausea, nausea pills. pills. And I'm like, okay, so he drove from Malibu to Melrose Avenue and stopped at a store and got herself for tw- in under twenty minutes. Crazy, it is crazy. And he's like, all right, so you have all these goodies, eat them, drink them, take them, and I'll see you later. And then Amanda is like, oh, please just stay while I, till I fall asleep. Like, who are you, Tiny Tim? Like, what the <laughs> fuck is going on? And they're sitting on the couch, and Amanda just, like, 
cozies up to him and like snuggles with him and you see Michael's face like <laughs> he like smiles he like and it's like Amanda really you're that sick and you would prefer to just mm-hmm. like cuddle up to someone on the couch don't you want to lay in your bed yeah chemo sick is like crazy sick yeah like barfing just like weak no energy tired I wouldn't want anybody seeing me like that Well, just like Michael, Amanda doesn't have very many friends. I mean, you see how she treats Billy and Allison, the two only people in the world that actually care about her and want to do something nice for her. She treats them like garbage. Yeah, she's got nobody. Now we go to Halfway House Cafe. Yes, and this is a cafe that is right down the street from us. We're going to go there, guys. It's very close to where we live because they shot a lot of... Well, Santa Clarita Studios is in the town that we live in, and that's where they shot... Melrose Place. Melrose Place. So a lot of the, um, the, the stuff that they do is set here where we are. Now, this place looks like a dump. They've got beer, uh, steak, wine... Coffee, choice prime rib, homemade pies, and they serve breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And this is all on the side. Now, we've never actually been here before. We've seen it driving by, and we've heard a lot of people in our neighborhood say it's like a, like a gem. So we, got, we have to go there. We're going. We're going. We're going to do a video. Well, this is where Jane and Jake have stopped because they found out that this compound that Sydney's being held is in Tucson, Arizona. Don't it you is- think this is the same place that Jake stopped with Joe when they went to get her baby back? I don't know. Remember? And like Joe like like saw her baby and was like, Give me my baby. It back. may have been and we can look for it while we're there. Yeah. But And why is why is Jake always the the tag along in a rescue mission? Oh, I know why. Because he's the equivalent of a gun. Oh yeah, that's right. And it is discussed that they're headed to outside of Tucson. Which takes nine hours, one trip. 18-hour round trip. That's, that's intense. It's a lot. Like, I could do two hours in a car easy. No problem. Just from, like, driving around L.A. and stuff. Yeah. But, man, anything over two? It's a lot. So Jane comments to Jake, you know what, Jake, you're great. I should have listened to you about Chris. And he tries to make her feel better by saying that, like, Chris was a snake oil salesman and he, like, totally got her. And they kind of have this little moment. And she's like, well, who would have thought me and you on the road like this? I mean, we live in the building together, but we've never really spent time together. We didn't have anything in common. And when they did spend time together, they were beefing with each other. Yeah. But they're going to hook up. That's what it seems like. Now, Michael and Kimberly, they're in the break room, and Kimberly is pissed. Right. So she comes storming in, and she says, what, are you crazy? Amanda has lymphoma. Why wouldn't you tell me that? Uh, doctor, patient, confidentiality, any of that ring a bell? And she says, Michael, you should not be handling this. She needs a professional. She needs a specialist. She needs an oncologist. She says it's unethical what he's doing and that he's just not qualified at all. And then he comes back with, 
Oh, unethical. Really fun word to pop up in your vocabulary, Kimberly. <laughs> and so... He, he claims that, like, she's already gotten a CAT scan. She's already been checked. And he's already checked with his superiors about being her primary physician during this time. And that she's okay with it. And, and then Kimberly questions his... Um, Motives. Like, what are you getting out of this? Right. So then Michael, he's like, I'm on board. And if she survives, it may be the break that I need. But he, not before saying, when she says, what are you getting out of this? He says, oh, I don't know. The joy of a wife who's pissed off all the time. (laughs) Which is very true. Kimberly always seems to be upset. I mean, because rightfully so. Michael is showing a lot of attention toward Amanda when she wants the attention showered on her. Yeah. So we leave that. Kimberly's pissed off. And we leave her with like just a glaring look. Now we're with Joe and John and they're on the ride along. Mm-hmm. First stop, Man's Chinese Theater in Hollywood, downtown. Back in the 90s, this was supposed to have been a pretty rough area. A lot of prostitution, a lot of drug sales. Um, now Me and Jenny actually took some engagement photo pictures at the Chinese theater. We did. Um, but nowadays, this area is a lot more tourist Booming. Centric. <laughs> Booming with tourists. But I think it's kind of akin to Times Square in that, like, the Giuliani years, they really cleaned up the city and made it more into, like, the tourist trap that it is. Yeah, this is all, this is, like, Hollywood Walk of Fame. Yeah. This is where Jimmy Kimmel Live is. This is where, like, uh, Ripley's Believe It or Not, Madame Tussauds, like, every Kodak theater, it's all right there. And this is where the bulk of tourists come to see the Walk of Fame and the Chinese theater with the handprints and the footprints. And But back in the 90s, I think it was a really rough area mm-hmm. and it wasn't a place that you'd find a lot of tour, tourists going to, to check everything out. Now, Joe is just shooting at rapid fire. Indiscriminately. Randomly. In every angle. She turns around and she's like, all of these, this is so great where we are right now. And then this random hooker like walks by, looks at Joe, and then like... Joe go no, John. John oh. is like, hey, what's up? What's up, Candace, or whatever no, the like, hell her name is? Looking good, Darla. Very tasty. And then and she then gives him a little... Mm. Darla does a little shimmy, like a little shimmy shake. And uh, then and Joe, Joe gets leaps a couple shots. It. She leaps at that opportunity. Like, what prostitute is just going to be, like, posy for a photo like And that? may I ask, what prostitute is, like, that cool with the cop? Like, he's got to be a dirty cop in order to have all of these friends on the other side of the law that's like, yeah, yeah. hey, what's up, John? The cops like that, they, they have, like, dirt on everybody to bust them, but they don't because they want that sort of uh, respect. I guess. So Joe is like, you're so right, John. I wouldn't have been able to get any of these shots without you. And I'm like, really? You just go down to Hollywood and Highland. Yeah. Maybe Darla wouldn't have given you a shimmy shake, but okay. Now, John gets a call from his uh, 
receiver or Who whatever. Who knows? And that there is, um, there's a big drug deal going down, and John has to move on it quick. So he's like, pack it up, Joe. Our favorite drug dealer just rolled into town. Okay, so they go off to confront the drug dealer. They roll up into like this back alley, and John parks the car and ins- loads his gun. Instructs Joe to stay in the car. Everything will be fine if she just stays here. No one's going to bother her. He goes off and around the corner, and we hear kind of like a scuffle ensuing. Raised voices, people moving around, and. I don't know what would possess Joe to get out of the car, but she does. She she needs to get the shot. Anything yeah. for the shot. Does she want to get a shot in her face? Because that's where she's going. Oh, she's a big girl. She's dealt with the likes of Reed Carter and freaking got shot in the back by <laughs> by the Carter's parents like four days ago. <laughs> She's giving up her baby. She's tough as nails. I I guess that does remind me of the time she did ride her motorcycle to Skid Row. Yeah. And got some very candid pics of the homeless population there. That's right. And she got locked up for having a gun on her. Yep. Mr. Wendell. Well, maybe maybe you're right. (laughs) She's like, what? Fuck this. I've seen a fight before. So, Hell, I've been in a fight. Do you remember when I kicked a knife out of Reed's hands <laughs> on a boat? Remember when I harpooned him off the boat? So she's out of the car. She's creeping around the corner. She, then she gets a, a, like a view of what's going on, and she sees John just wailing on this guy. She then decides to take out her camera and starts taking photos of Everything going on. He And he's kicking his ass. Now, this drug dealer falls on the ground, and John just continues to kick him repeatedly while he's down. He's straight up fucking this guy up. Over and over and over again. Joe gets all of this on film. She runs back, gets in the car before John could ever be the wiser. He is done beating this guy up within an inch of his life comes back into the car and says to Joe, ride along's over, Joe. We had some problems here. I'm going to take you home now. No, yeah, he, he's got to call for another car to get her. Oh, that's right. He had to call back. for backup. Yeah. yeah. So now we go back to Camp Crazy. Sydney is, is doing her job there, I guess, which is laundry. How's she doing laundry with a bunch of military tents? She's got a laundry basket full of shit. And um, uh, the folks at camp are like bugging out because a car is rolling up. She talks to Martin about it. And Martin's like, um, we got we to gotta check this whole thing out. So, of course, Ricky is armed with a shotgun ready to defend the compound. They roll up and... Doesn't Martin say something like, you better get that gun and get them, you better shoot them and get them away from here? Yeah, Sydney can identify the car by the headlights. And he's like, oh my God, I think it's my sister. And he's like, get him out of here. So Sydney runs out the door and she says, it's okay, I got it, I'll get them away. She runs out and then of course, Martin follows her. The car pulls up, Jane 
leaps out of the car, elated to see that Sydney is in one piece. And she's like, oh, Sydney, I'm so glad you're okay. And then... Sydney pushes her away. Yeah, like you give a damn. And she comes back with all of the things that they've accused her of. Because remember, the last time Sydney saw Jane and Jake was when they were both accusing her of wrecking their property and calling her every name in the book. Yeah. So she's just kind of like, why? Like, I'm done with you guys. Why are you here? And Jane says, you know, Sydney, we drove nine hours to get here. We're we're very worried about you. You've been gone a long time. So yeah, well, I'm good, so bye. And then Martin, of course, has to chime in. Jake chimes in first, and he's like, hey, Sydney, your sister just came here. You should talk to her. And then Martin is like, actually, she doesn't need to talk to anybody if she doesn't want to, Jake. And then Sydney just mirrors what Martin has said, and it's just like, I'm happy here. For God's sake, give me some credit. This is my home now. It's the home I've always dreamed of. Sure, it's no Camelot, that, but these people support me, and they care about me. So you guys need to go home. I am not leaving. And she calls Jake Dudley Do right? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, Jake and Jane don't really have a lot of options. They... Sydney says she's fine. She doesn't want to leave. They can't make her leave. So they get back in the car and they drive away. And as they're going, Martin looks at them and says, go in love. Go in love. It makes sense. Look, all they do to her for real is talk shit about her and talk down on her and blame her for breaking the bar. She didn't break the bar. She didn't cut up those dresses. It makes sense. It does make sense. It really does. But I think that good on Jane for kind of like knowing that her sister is in danger. They're like, Sydney, why wouldn't you want to come with us? I'm on Sydney's side here. Like, y'all fuck with me all the time. What's the point? It is true. And rent's cheap here. And all I do is make (laughs) tea and sandwiches. (laughs) And I shoot guns and do laundry. I'm about to get my M tattoo soon. Next scene, we're with Joe and Matt, and Joe is sharing with Matt all of the photos that she took last night on the ride-along. They're in Joe's apartment. She's really scared and freaked out. She, of course, admits that she doesn't know what had transpired before she saw John kicking the shit out of this guy, but she felt as though he used excessive force with him. And I've got to give credit where credit is due. I think these photos that Joe took are the best photos that she's ever taken on the show. Really? Yeah. They were good action shots of him kicking that guy (laughs) and punching him in the face. She really captured the moment more than any other time. One other time would have been better. I don't... With the guy in the underwear, like... I could not tell you. Remember that guy? I just wish people could see what you're doing. We're holding like that freaking lifesaver. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, take would, off your underwear. I would go for the girls on the, the bed on the beach. Oh, that was a horrible <laughs> shoot. That was the worst shoot. Yeah, Joe, I, the, I think these photos are brilliant. Matt shares with Joe that a similar incident had happened with John. He 
shared with John that Kimberly may have been behind his beating. And then, of course, he goes to rough up Kimberly a little bit. And it looks like this is beginning to be a pattern with this guy. And Joe's like, look, I'm just like getting refreshed off my my child being born and me giving it away. I'm getting my career back together. I can't afford to get involved with this. And then Matt, the nerve, like gives her, throws her like a little bit of like honesty shade. And he's like, maybe it was, maybe it was justified. But in it, I, you could tell in his voice that he's saying like, it definitely isn't. You should go to the police. <laughs> well, he, the, is it here where he says <clears throat> that he can keep the photos in his apartment? No. Sorry. It is not. Now, we go to Jane and Jake. They're headed back into Melrose Place. And Jane... Okay, so think about this, guys. <laughs> <laughs> they just drove nine hours to Tucson, Arizona. They had a three-minute confrontation with Sydney. Then we can assume they got back in the car. They drove all the way back to California. They're now walking into the courtyard of Melrose Place with their bags. And it's here that Jane says, you know, I really felt like something was off. Just doesn't seem right. Doesn't feel right. I feel like we missed something. It's not really how she said it, because I know she's mad at us, but it's what she said. And then Jake, Jake is all but like, doing this like a lassie scene where it's like, what is it, girl? Tell me what it is. Well, she said, it's no Camelot, but it's the home I've always dreamed of. And that's not true. The home Sydney always dreamed of was a home that would be right next door to me. She always wanted to live near me. It's got to be some code. So then Jane's like, I'm going back. (laughs) What? You literally... Just got back from an 18-hour round trip. Mm. You're going to get back in the car? And she goes, you know what, Jake? I got to do this by myself. And Jake says, nope. I'm going to call someone and get the bar covered. Let's get back over to Tucson. Get back in that car. Drive the nine hours back to Tucson, Arizona. They turn around immediately. They do not go back. They don't even go in their apartments for anything. This is ridiculous. It's hey, I don't even I think would, they stayed at a hotel the night before. I would get a flight. I'd be like, all right, but we're gonna fly this time. It, nope, back on the nope, road again. Back on the road. On the road again. Now we cut away to. Um, we don't know where this is yet, but there's a <laughs> there's a heart like wind up toy, and by wind up, yeah, thing. it's a little heart with feet that you would has a knob where you would twist it and it would just sort of hop across your table like a little like something you would get out of a 25 cent toy like vending machine. Now we pan up and you see Amanda sitting at her desk watching this little toy jump around and then Allison and Billy are watching her watch the toy and Amanda has the strangest expression on her face. And Allison is wearing a Jake patterned flannel but as a power suit oh nice it is hideous i mean it is just 
It looks like a straight up flannel design. Now, Billy and Allison are so proud of themselves. They're like, you know, we were going back and forth. Should we get you flowers? Should we get you chocolates? No. This was a compromise, but we wanted to acknowledge that we're thinking about you. So and we got you this bullshit heart. Yeah, this crappy thing that you could get out of a 25 cent machine that you're just going to throw away like this tchotchke shitty thing that no one wants. And Amanda is looking up at them like she's got this very fake, weird, closed mouth smile and her eye, like her head is down, but her eyes are looking up and she's just like, hmm. She's like, thanks, guys. This is really nice. But I couldn't believe that she was actually feigning uh, appreciation because the Amanda I know would have been like just screaming at them about how crappy this and present was and like I don't even know why you would spend the time and effort to do this for me and then as th- soon as they walk out of her office she just takes her hand and crushes that toy yeah like a villain this it's is really her this is what a Disney villain does guys like Cruella DeVille would do this <laughs> only it'd be a little Dalmatian's head yes um, now Michael is pissed that Amanda can't get into a cancer treatment program and he's scared that Amanda won't make it if she's not in this like progressive uh, treatment facility. So in this scene, Michael and Matt are actually walking the halls of Wilshire Memorial and Michael is telling Matt about this patient that he has without disclosing who the patient is. So he said, it's a bright young woman, beautiful, smart. She's very high. She has a very high power job, but she has a very aggressive form of cancer. And I feel like she won't make it till next summer unless I get her into this research program. Problem is when I try to get her in, I was told that the program was full and I don't know what to do. So now Matt is actually a Physician consultant. Right. At so at this point, Matt is saying, you know what? I deal with these problems all the time with housing. They tell you that they're full, but that may not be the case. They may not actually be at capacity. They may be just more selective of who they're going to let in. And Matt's, Matt's advice is to keep trying and to push it really hard. And he got nothing to lose. And then. That's when he says, yeah, just your patient. Yeah, very, that's a tough sell, housing compared to getting patients. And how would he know, like, if that was even within the same world? Well, he's clearly. He's Matt Fielding. He's Matt Fielding. He owns. Of course he knows. Wilshire Memorial used to be called Fielding Memorial, but he changed it. Okay, so next scene, we're with Joe. She's at her apartment. There's a knock on the door, and when she opens it, there are two men with badges. They look like bozos. Well, they are part of the uh, internal affairs department of the police, and they want to talk to Joe about the ride-along she went on the previous night with John. So Joe lets him in, but she's very weary, And she's a little nervous, and the cops immediately pick up on that. And they say to her, like, hey, there's no need to be nervous. And she's like, look, two freaking police just came into my house. I'm a little itchy. I'm I'm nervous. And the dude then, he cuts her off, and he's like, well, I'd be nervous, too, with your track record. What? What's my track record? 
I murdered somebody. Is that it? Yeah, it's just I like, defended wh- myself okay. on a boat. So what yeah. do you want? And they're like, yeah, well, there this guy John Rowling. Um, when you were on the ride along with him, we he had an altercation with a known drug dealer, and the guy is now on life support, and we want to know what happened. And then it's just this whole: Did you get out of the car? Did you get out of the car? Like no. They, and she says, no, I didn't get out of the car. I didn't know anything. Okay, well, if you think of anything, let us know. And then they leave. That's all they want. That's all they come to her house to ask her. And if you were a normal person, like let's say you didn't get out of the car and you had no idea about what would happen, wouldn't you say, why? What happened? What like... Yeah, but like, so what did happen? Because from Joe's perspective... She she wasn't privy to anything that happened, that anybody got hurt. It, it just seems kind of weird to me that she she didn't have more questions for them or that she was not doing a good job about playing up her non-guilt. Or, I'm more inclined to think, like, Joe, like, she just doesn't care. She's like, I don't want to be involved. I have pictures of this man being So why did up. she take the pictures? That was dumb. She wanted the photos. She wanted edgy photos. That's all she wanted. She got them. She, but now she's, she's not intending on using them. She just wants to be rid of this. So she's just like, I don't know shit, man. Later. She never liked the cops. Next scene, Billy has showed up at Allison's apartment, and she, he tells her, I checked the rule book, and we can still watch a movie together on Valentine's Day, even if we're not together. What rule book is that? Because that's not true. It's supposed to be a joke. Now, Allison thinks that this is really cute and invites him in. And he also has a single rose for her. And then they hug because he gives it to her. And they decide, do we watch The Dirty Dozen or Sleepless in Seattle? And Allison chooses Dirty Dozen. And this impresses Billy. Right. And then so they get cozy on the couch and... Start eating popcorn, and he's like, come on, fast forward, let's go. (laughs) So we leave them, and now we are back at the camp. Kill yourself. Camp nowhere. (laughs) Jane shows up again, and now Martin, like, pulls out a gun. And he's like... Sydney's like, no, Martin, don't shoot her. And then Martin's like, I'm not going to shoot her. You are if she doesn't leave. (laughs) Now that's crazy. Yeah, that's psycho talk. Um, So they go outside and Sydney just goes up to Jane, who's getting out of the car with the gun and is like, back up now. And she pulls the gun out and... Jane immediately asks, what are you doing with the gun? And she says under her breath, I'm saving your life. Get out of here. Go. Jane, I told you not to come back here. Get out. I don't want you here. And so Jane gets back in the car. They start to do like a three-point turn to turn around and go. But at that point, Sydney does like this crazy move where she shoots out the tires of all of the vehicles on the compound <laughs> and then just runs and jumps into Jane's cabriolet. Like, cause it's a, it's a convertible and she just jumps down with the top. This was a very ballsy move. Yeah. You saw how many guns and weapons they have in the shed. 
Oh, yeah. And the shack, as Martin called it. And I love how the writers, um, they really they really built out that Sydney's a great marksman. Yeah, so for, she's going to get so those that, tires. Yeah, so that this scene was, quote unquote, believable. It was, it's just like, and didn't, doesn't Ricky have a loaded shotgun the moment? No, no, Ricky, Ricky was, she wasn't armed. She, she runs back into the, into the, the, the trailer. The trailer to get the shotgun. Yeah, and then as, as Sydney gets into the car and they pull away, Ricky runs out with the shotgun and is like, Martin, should I do it? I have a clear shot. And like, she doesn't, but Martin's like, no. We'll get her later. <laughs> really? <laughs> and then we cut to a commercial. Now, Jane comes to Jake's door this time. And she looks great, by the way. I love her outfit in this scene. It's, it's pretty, pretty cool. Um, and Oh, you like the baggy mom jeans? I like the top. The baggy the, mom the jeans. The mesh, like fishnet top mm-hmm. and that where it's a barely there mm-hmm. no bra i think she has a bra but it's like it's like um it's only buttoned like in one spot and you can see her navel <laughs> i don't think i've ever heard you use that word for a belly button you know the navel she they look great i like the chemistry that they have and they do have some chemistry already more than he did with sydney yeah, I'd you know, say that too. They're way more believable as like a flirty couple. But um so she is just super thankful that Jake um went to and from Tucson twice. Twice. <laughs> Two times. In, in forty eight hours. Yeah. And that would mean that they spent thirty six of those forty eight hours driving in a car. Right. And I mean, I don't know about you, but when I spend thirty six hours with anyone in a car, I want to murder them. I don't want to invite them over for dinner. But you know what? Not these guys. They are going to have dinner that evening at 7.30, and the date has been set. And they're both pretty excited. Now, Joe, it, I think Matt got an upgrade in this office, too. This is like Matt's office. Is it? Yeah. It's got to be. He's just like, like, it's not Joe's place. But I will say that that pattern on that couch in his office is very dreadful. Oh, it's it's a Bill Cosby sweater. <laughs> Come to life. Yeah. So the, Joe's freaking out. She's like, John Rawlings knows that I saw what happened in the alley. And Matt, he just tells Joe to chill out. Um, and if you want, you can just leave the photos with me. And now we go to D&D. Michael shows up to talk to Amanda about the results of her blood test, and it's not good. We learn that her blood, the white blood cell count is dangerously low, and they have to do something in order to save their, her life. And Amanda goes into like, you failed me mode, and she's like, what do you mean? This is all bullshit. And then uh, she's like, I thought I was receiving the best available treatment. And he's like, yeah, you were. On the West Coast. But let me tell you about Richard Steele. He's in New York. And he's got great treatment available. Really great results. A lot of people that are doing it are coming out cancer-free. And you hit every criteria that you need in order to qualify for this research program. 
Richard no. Steele sounds like a smut author. Yeah, well, because Danielle Steele. Richard Steele. It's Danielle's brother. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, Amanda meets all the requirements, but they're, he, he tells her like, look, it's full. And then Amanda's like, I have connections on the East Coast. Like, you have cancer connections on the East Coast? <laughs> well, and he says, you know, it's not going to take professional corporate connections. We've got to just go out on his doorstep and literally beg him. And camp out. So she says, great, make the book the flights. Book the reservations. Now, John Rawlings, he's waiting in the balance, very Keith-like. And Joe is... Uh, like you said, walking the same route that Matt was when Matt got his ass kicked. Same scene. So Joe rounds a corner. She has one paper bag of groceries. It's night. We see traffic behind her. She's on a sidewalk. This is the same place where Matt got beat up. Rollins damn near clotheslines her and like stops her from walking. And Joe was like, dude, I didn't see anything. I'm your friend. We're all friends here. And I wrote here again. I was like, this ain't new to Joe. She shouldn't be that scared. She dealt with Reed. Yeah. So John is like, yeah, that guy, the one in the alley, turns out the lowlifes is in a coma now and they're blaming it on me. And then he's insisting that he's being set up. And she's like, look, I didn't see anything. I was in the car. You stayed in the car the whole time? You were in the car? Yes, I was in the car. I mean, I don't know why this is such a big deal. Like, I know that you're a good cop. I mean, like, I, I, I'm not saying anything yeah, about anything. Yeah, we're pals, man. Can you please remove your arm from the fence and let me walk? And he's just like, all right. I need to know who my friends are. Are you my friend, Joe? And she's like, yeah, I'm your friend. But she's very shaken. She continues on to her apartment after he allows her to get away from his imprisonment. Yeah. And the moment she opens her door, she realizes that the entire apartment has been ransacked. Who do you think trashed her place? Him? Obviously. Or do you think it was the other, the other two cops? No, I think it was John Rowling's like 100%. And the thing that I thought was really odd is that obviously he thinks that there are some incriminating photos of him, how he would even like why that would even be in his mind. I don't know. Well, because he took her on, on the ride along for to take photos of crazy shit. Well, okay. And he's that, like, I just did some crazy ass that's shit. That's true, but then he should have known that his, the other people in the police department went to talk to her, what the outcome of their conversation was. She's not giving him away. She's not saying anything to him. Yeah. So, obviously, somebody has ransacked her apartment. All of her belongings have been like thrown onto the ground, and she goes into her bathroom, which she uses as her dark room, and all of her equipment is all messed up. And the other thing, Dan, poor Joe has suffered some pretty big blows. And aside from having a baby and giving that baby up, I mean, last episode, all of her camera equipment was stolen and sold. So that must have been thousands of dollars in equipment. 
Oh, yeah. And then she somehow gets the money for new equipment, and now all of her belongings have been destroyed. And her dark room is fucked. Yeah. So she can't even develop Not a good week for Joe. No. So she, we leave her, and she's crying, and she's upset. Now, Sydney is in her place reading a book, and she gets a phone call from Ricky. Of course, she doesn't pick it up. So Ricky has to leave a message, and it goes a little something like this. We miss you, Sydney. We have to go away for a while, but we'll be back for you. And then Sydney just lets that go to the machine. Yeah, she's horrified. She runs downstairs to try to find some sort of comfort from Jane. But as she's making her way to Jane's apartment door, she looks into the window and she sees Jane and Jake sitting together on the couch, laughing, drinking glasses of wine. And she is heartbroken at what she's seeing. Here is Jane taking her man away. And I'm wondering, is this going to send her right back over to Martinism? And then they're going to have to go all the way to Tucson again? I hope not, because two round trips to Tucson in that little time, I would not wish on my, my enemy. I mean, it's a lot. It's a lot. That is a hell but of a lot. nice prediction, Dan. Maybe we will see that next episode, because that's where we end it. End of the ep. So let's recap this thing. Amanda's cancer is bad and not going away. Matt feels increasingly stalked by John. John beats up some dude in the alley and Joe takes a bunch of photos of it. Jake and Jane rescue Sydney from Martinism. Billy and Allison are on the mend. Martin and Ricky vow to get Sid back. Joe gets caught up in John's dirty police work. Amanda and Michael make a plan to go to New York to get in on the research project. 90s moments. Amanda having an actual paper planner that she's writing in to plan out her appointments. Mm. I think nowadays a lot of people have something on their cellular device Mm -hmm. that they'll use for that. When Amanda was getting chemo treatment in the hospital, she was using a... A touch-tone phone. Mm. Matt getting his actual written messages from a receptionist. Yeah. Um, And then, like, just this idea of uh, Amanda wants to keep her... um, She wants to keep her cancer private, but she's making these calls from the hospital. And this is a 90s moment because if in... Nowadays, if you made a call from a hospital, it would come up. Mm. Yeah, you'd see in your caller ID that it's coming from a hospital. Yeah, she couldn't make these calls if it wasn't the 90s. From the, hotel, from the phone in the hospital. Right. Gotcha. The concept of going to an actual store to buy flowers to give them for Valentine's Day instead of just ordering online or calling like 1-800-Flowers. Yeah. I had that one too. Um, Jake, Jake and Jane, uh, when Jane comes into Jake's apartment to talk to him about Sydney, Jake is picking up like a lot of newspapers. Mm. I don't think anyone has that many newspapers anymore. The um, calling a date with someone as a video date. We're going to watch a video together. 
Enough Netflix and chill now. Yeah. Uh, the Chinese theater in general, yeah. it just looks way different now. So much different. The answering machine that we, we where Ricky leaves the message. Um, John Rawlings' police car and that siren on the on the top is like a removable siren. Oh yeah, just be like we're Boop. going after him, boys. Clink, <laughs> and then you just click it onto the top of your top of your hood. And I've got Jane's. Baggy but sexy girl pants. Oh, the mom <laughs> jeans? Yeah. Nice. So baggy. Those are making a comeback. You rocking the baggy? I have a pair on right now. <laughs> uh, all of these episodes have a lesson. Jenny, what did you learn this week? I learned this week, take drive to the grocery store, okay? Don't be walking home with your groceries late at night on that route. That route is cursed. It's a very bad route. All right. People are jumped there all the time. They're costed. You know, this is a time where if you have a car or maybe do your grocery shopping during the day. Remember Step Brothers when Will Ferrell and John C. Riley kept getting beat up by those little kids? Yes. And they're like, we're going to take the long way from now on. (laughs) That way is just not the way to take. Yeah. So that's what I learned from this episode. Dan, what about you? Um, My lesson here is pretty general, but in life, all of you should choose your company wisely. Like the company you keep says a lot about uh, the type of person that you are. So in, in Sydney's case, like... You're running around with, with Ricky and Donnie and Martin. Like, you're going to have some, some lapses in judgment. People are going to look at you a little differently, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to look badly on you. And um, so, yeah, just choose the people you want to hang out with a little carefully. Hmm. I think we could all take that lesson and apply it to our own lives. So now it is time for our favorite segment, Bitch Bitch of the the Week! I'm a boss-ass bitch, 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 I'm a boss-ass bitch. Okay, last week, Jenny, you said that John Rawlings was the bitch. Mm Mm-hmm. I said that Amanda Woodward was the bitch. Now, we took polls, our Facebook group, our Twitter and now our Instagram. Twitter was three to two in favor of Amanda. Facebook, three to seven in favor of John. Mm. Instagram, 20 to 12 for the winner, Amanda Woodward. Oh, of course. Bitch of the week, 26 to 21, son. So I win. Now, you guys had some stuff to say about our Bitch of the Week nominations. And Donald says, I agree with Dan about the bus. It reminded me of the school bus in Nightmare on Elm Street 2 that Freddy is driving at the start of that movie. It is that bus. Yeah. Also, I totally agree with you guys about the restaurant that Amanda and Billy go to. I was very confused about the mirrors. It was really weird. Anyway, I agree with Jenny's pick this week because John is yet another creepy character and yet another bad love interest for Matt. And I totally agree with her when she says that just because there's another gay character on the show 
does not necessarily mean he has to be with Matt. I remember this character getting much worse, so he totally gets my vote this week. And if you nominate him next week, I'll vote for him again. Mm-hmm. He's just really creepy and over the top. Also, great episode titles, you guys. I don't know what they were thinking with Boxy Sydney. It's really a weird title. Thank you so much, Donald. Zach says, we just ain't on the same page these days. Because <laughs> there was way bitchier things done in this episode by bitchier people. For instance, Billy, Ricky, Martin. But I guess I'll pick gay cop because I'm not voting for Amanda. Funny, when I watched this episode, I knew you guys would have a lot to say about both the Abbott Way bus and the Restaurant of Mirrors. <laughs> So naturally, I was howling. Side note, did anyone else notice that the exterior of that restaurant was the exact same place where Susan went for her job Yes, I looked very similar. Where she presumably got hired. And, and like, is she still in L.A. working <laughs> there? Petty, pretty bitchy of Billy to casually dine at his ex-girlfriend's restaurant. So true. And then Graham chimed in and said, you must be talking about Chasen's. <laughs> Susan mentioned it by name, and it was a real place. But alas, it closed down in April of 95. Oh. So around about that time, they must have been filming there. Maybe Susan's dire cooking was what finally closed the doors. Oh, Chasen's? Yeah, I love Chasen's. Oh, Chasen's. What a great place. Well, thank you for those comments, guys. Yeah, so this week, Daniel, since you were the winner, you have the right to pick first this week. All right, guys. My bitch of the week this week is the unsuspecting Jane Andrews. What? Yeah. Jane, all right, here's why Jane is the bitch of the week. For one reason, one re- two reasons, actually. One... She made Jake come to Tucson, go all that way. And the second reason is because they drove all the way back before she fucking realized (laughs) that Sydney was talking to her in code. (laughs) And then they drive all the way back. For that, Jane, you are the bitch of this episode. I know you hate long car rides, but that is like trumping some other really egregious acts by their characters. I can't think of another bitch. Well, I can. And that bitch would be Martin Abbott. Guys, come on. Mm. He locked Sydney in a box overnight where tarantulas roam free. (laughs) That is terrifying. And the fact that he's simply brainwashing her, he's obviously only after her money. He says that the reason that he had to imprison her was because she refused to write the letter begging for money from her family. That's what gets you in a box? I would hate to see if you did something worse than that. If, if totally denying him writing a letter to somebody... Oh, you get killed. I mean, like, anything more than that, that is grounds for murder. Mm -hmm. If this is your punishment for just not writing a letter. And, of course, he's getting between her relationships. Guys, he is a leader of a cult. I mean, 
that's pretty, that's a pretty bitchy thing to do to start a (laughs) cult and make people follow you and have sex with you and then extort money from people. And get tattoos. Yeah. I mean, the cult information hotline had it right. He's extremely destructive and he's my bitch of the week. All right. Uh, All this week, vote in our Facebook group, on Twitter, or now on Instagram. And of course, if you you have comments about our choices, or if you would like to nominate someone of your own choosing, Mm -hmm. let us know. Feel free to do so on the Facebook comments, and we'll read them on the show. That's right. Now, this episode was called St. Valentine's Day Massacre. As me and Jenny have already said, there wasn't much Valentine's Day in this, and barely any massacres. <laughs> so we can do better. What do you want to rename this thing? I'm renaming this Cult Break. Cult Break? Yep. Okay, I was wrong. <laughs> I can do better. <laughs> Dan, what would you rename this? I can't do much better. I'm renaming this one Get a Life. Okay, maybe we should keep St. <laughs> Valentine's Day Massacre. Dude, like, Ricky needs to get a life. Sid needs to get a life. And, uh... <laughs> Can I go to sleep now? <laughs> Yo, seriously, Jake has a lot of time on his hands to go to Tucson twice. Bro, get a life. Yeah. Okay. Get a Valid. Life. So, predictions. What are we going to see in future episodes? Jake and Jane get it on. Sydney goes apeshit over it. (laughs) Amanda gets her treatment from New York and gets better. And then she hooks up with Michael and Kimberly gets fucking pissed. That's how she's going to get. That's what's going to happen. What? She is going to try to murder everyone at Melrose Place. To get mm. back at Amanda for this. Okay. Yep. Um, Matt is going to have John arrested. And I think John's going to kick Matt's ass. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, Allison and Billy are definitely going to get back together. We keep saying that. Just do it already so they can break up sooner. <laughs> like, come on. The sooner they get together, the sooner they break up. So let's just... Let's just do this just song and dance. Like a band-aid. Come on. Start hooking up again and get it done. Um, and hmm. I don't think this is the end of Martin. I think we see them one more time. They hmm. said they're going to come for her. I agree that Jane and Jake are definitely going to hook up. I think uh, Michael and Amanda are going to go to New York, of course. But I think... That Kimberly is going to catch wind of it and somehow get on the research project team and be there like working it when they get there. And then she's going to try to murder Amanda like through administering wrong medicine to her. Whoa. I like that idea. That's intricate. Um, I think that, uh, that John is going to continue to stalk Matt break into his apartment, 
find the pictures than basically like make Matt be his boyfriend and be like, like, I know you know about me, so you know how dangerous I can be. If you're not my boyfriend or you don't like go out to dinner with me, I'm going to kick your ass. And I think Matt's going to feel like being in an abusive relationship with him. All right. <laughs> That's pretty dark, but all right. And then I agree Ricky and Martin will probably come back, but not until maybe season four. Hey, it, it is Ricky Martin. <laughs> team Ricky Martin. Team Ricky Martin. <laughs> Talk to me. Tell me your name. You switching sides like a Gemini. Would you be like a drum now, baby? Okay, so they're going to come back later. <laughs> oh my goodness! Good night. Um, and yeah, I think that that's what we're gonna see. <laughs> she reminds me that a woman's got one thing on her mind. Well, guys, thank you as usual for listening. Hey, hey hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. <laughs> Amanda posted a picture of Jane in some high-ass fashion <laughs> on our Facebook group where she is wearing a shirt covered in pictures of Chairman Mao. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wearing sunglasses. Um, and Richard said that is a really awful design. <laughs> <laughs> Amanda also posted a movie poster for a movie called Boxing Helena. Which is probably the inspiration boxing for Boxing Sydney. And it just basically has a woman laying in a box. Terrifying. Interesting. And a little story from Zach here. Uh, he says about a year ago, <laughs> he said, go in love to a casual acquaintance slash customer that he was serving at his job. And I'm going to speak as him now. I don't know why I had said it. And I had... No recollection of where the hell I had even gotten that phrase from. The other night, it obviously dawned on me when I watched this episode. So now I'm wondering if I was brainwashed by the Martinists. Oh, Zach, you're one of them. Zach, you are one of them. <laughs> check, check the back of your ears for an M tattoo. <laughs> right now. Oh, that is a funny story. That's hilarious. Um, anything else? I'm just scanning, scanning the group here. Um, couple funny pictures of Ricky, like beating the shit out of shooters. And Graham said that Tracy Lords heard our comments about her acting abilities. Yeah. There's fun stuff happening in the Melrose place podcast, Facebook group. So if you so want to continue the conversation, get on in. And hook us up, write us a review on Apple Podcasts, and we'll read it on the show. Woohoo! And also, we want to thank our patrons on Patreon. We very much appreciate your support. Couple more quickie episodes on the way OTW, faux show, <laughs> and a video. We're going to that shitty diner. We're going to Halfway House <laughs> Cafe, and we will document our experience. And I'm bringing a gun. No! <laughs> well, guys. Uh, uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at MelrosePod. We love smut. And we love you. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>